the world's most exciting podcast, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I'm Michael Savage, host of the Savage Nation podcast, home of borders, language, and culture. Hear my new podcast each week as I speak with top guests from around the world. Right now, we have over 700 shows in our library featuring interviews with world leaders, scientists, faith teachers, and more, including President Donald Trump, Prime Minister of Israel Ehud Barak, Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb, Jerry Falwell, and so much more conversations and commentary you cannot find anywhere else. Other guests have included Samuel Cohen, the father of the neutron bomb, Breitbart's Alex Marlowe, the great author Peter Schweitzer, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Be here or be nowhere. The Savage Nation podcast. Catch the Michael Savage podcast on all podcast platforms every Tuesday and every Friday. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. America desperately needs a serious, consequential, and helpful conversation about race. America's not interested. The left, they can't handle it. They want to have a silly one, one they can exploit, one they can use to enhance their power. They virtue signal, they talk about systemic racism and white supremacy and things that are not the problem. So they can feel good on what? Talk shows, feel good at a party, how virtuous, how hip, how woke they are. But there's an impact far away from where they are on this road in Grand Rapids, Michigan, all that nonsense, all that rhetoric leads to a moment like this, where a police officer's lawful orders are ignored. Hey, stay in the car. Stay in the car. Stay in the car. Get in the car. Dude, I'm stopping you. Do you have a license? Do you have a license? Who would? I'm stopping you. Do you have a license? What done? Do you have a driver's license? Do you speak English? Yes. Can I see your license? <laughs> what did I do wrong? <laughs> what did I do wrong? I mean, if he watches the news, he should be asking these questions, right? I mean, we know how desperately the police need to be reformed. We hear it all the time. A standoff. We have a guy who just got pulled over, not cooperating. This is going to end badly. And the left, I believe, are responsible for moments like this. You know, if Joe Biden, who's been talking about systemic racism for the past three years, if he were pulled over, now what do you think he would do? Um, I think he would actually say, hey, uh, I'm Joe Biden. (laughs) Oh, I got you guys so much money, you're not gonna write me a ticket, right? But he would comply. He wouldn't get out of the car first and say, back off. I'm, oh, who knows? Maybe he would. But I don't think he would make that kind of mistake. Then again, he gets driven around everywhere. This is never going to happen to him. But it happens to real people getting pulled over by real cops. 
and horrible things are happening because of the rhetoric, the propaganda that has come out of the left, that has come from Joe Biden. And yeah, this does get worse. No, no, no. Stop, stop. Put your hands right Stop. 1915, got one running. North, wow. Okay. See how this is going? Badly. The guy didn't comply and ran away. And now he's going to try to grab the cop's stun gun. Stop. Okay. Stop resisting. A bad guy with a cop's stun gun, if he steals it, that cop is in serious trouble. What happens if it's used on him? He has a real gun. The guy could take the gun. The cop cannot be incapacitated. He cannot let that happen. There's more struggle. And then this individual, 26-year-old Patrick Loyola, is going to get shot. He's going to die. It's clearly to me a justified shooting, but an unnecessary one. They wouldn't have been in this position at all had the current climate not been the current climate. Let go, Taser! How many cars you got going? Drop Taser! Everyone. So, what happens next? Protests. There have been some. Up there in uh, yeah, Black Lives Matter, they're out, they're upset, they're upset. You know, this made me think, actually, of uh, Ashley Babbitt, of all people. So many people think that she deserved to die that day, which is so offensive to me. Was she wrestling with Lieutenant Mike Bird trying to grab his gun? No, she wasn't coming at Mike Bird. She was going in another direction. She had no deal made here. A lot of money. So I was looking at that guy, Patrick uh, Leoya, as he's standing there, and I was wondering, what kind of media diet does he have? If he just goes around the dial casually, he'll see stuff like this all the time. Racism is extremely pervasive in America's police departments, and people need to acknowledge that. We have to admit that this criminal justice system is racist and go from there. It's time to, to address systemic racism in this country, racism, racism in policing. Black people have been routinely and continually subject to inequity and injustice and systemic racism in the policing system of this country. Unless you make an attempt, a conscious effort to engage conservative media, if you just go with the flow and occasionally turn on the TV, this is what you're going to see, this is what you're going to hear, and this is what you're probably going to believe. We can't talk to Patrick uh, Loyola anymore, but I wonder, was he thinking about Joe Biden? He heard about how systemically racist police uh, or the country is and our original sin of slavery. Was he thinking about what he heard from the media for the past two years? Hmm? Was he thinking about George Floyd? Now, there was an incredible overreaction to what happened to George Floyd. Damn near ruined this country, or is ruining this country. What was on his mind? I have a feeling all of that stuff led him to 
not comply. How about the Waukesha Christmas uh, driver, allegedly, this guy, right? Driving into a peaceful parade of people, clearly, according to his online history, driven by a hatred of white people. The stuff they're talking about on cable, um, in the West Wing of the White House, it's having a real impact. Not just for crazy people like this, but even commissioned officers of the United States Army pulled over by police. No, you don't get to pull me over. I'm a black man and you're racist, you're police. How many occupants are in the vehicle? What's going on? How many occupants are in your vehicle? It's only myself, why are your weapons drawn? What's going on? Open the door slowly and step out. Open the door. I'm not getting out the vehicle. What's going on? Get out the car. Open the door slowly and get out. What's going on? Lieutenant Nazario can't be bothered. No. Again, he's clued into the narrative. The police, you got to explain yourselves to me before I do anything. Dangerous stuff, and it's leading to dangerous situations. Now, this guy put himself through a lot uh, if he had only complied. And of course, they fired the cop. They fired the cop uh, way prematurely, and I hope he gets his job back, and I hope he gets a lot of money because he deserves it. He was unfairly terminated. And that lieutenant, we all saw, he just blew off the cops. He was officially praised by one of the top officials in the Pentagon, in the Department of Defense. This man, the Sergeant Major of the Army, put out an official statement that Lieutenant Nazario, just there, represented himself and our army well through his calm, professional response. I am very proud of him. Well, that kind of pride is going to get other soldiers killed. It will. It probably already has. And our obsession with January 6th has to stop. In the aftermath of the attack, the Justice Department began its work on what has become one of the largest, most complex, and most resource-intensive investigations in our history. Only a small number of perpetrators were arrested in the tumult of January 6th itself. Every day since, we have worked to identify, investigate, and, appre and apprehend defendants from across the country. Largest investigation ever in January 6th, you know, so closely related to white supremacy, right? You saw those guys, all the harm they did, wearing those goofy clothes, yelling, uh, howling at the moon. Very few of them broke anything or hurt anybody. But this is the number one threat. Ask the FBI. It has been for the past year and a half almost. This is it. This is what their official priority is. Number one pinned tweet, the FBI is still seeking information regarding people who committed violence at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. You know, if they just limited themselves to those who committed violence, they'd be looking for far fewer people. They're not focusing on what's important. And what's important right now, and we've all seen it, especially here in New York, uh, the shooting on the subway, something called BIE, Black identity extremism. This is a real thing. It's a real thing. And the FBI, back before it was corrupted, um, 
wasn't afraid to talk about this. They put out an official report early 2017. It was well on its way to being corrupt back then, by the way. Black identity extremists likely motivated to target law enforcement officers. Do you remember the Dallas attack just the year prior? Several officers were, were killed by a black radical extremist who hated law enforcement. Hmm? But as soon as the FBI started talking about black identity extremism, oh no. You can't talk about that. That's not the problem. It's white supremacy. Get with the program. Forget about what's really happening. We want to go after the white supremacists. Remember? The irony, of course, here is that you have the FBI inventing something that they call black identity extremists. The federal government is targeting Black Lives Matter and calling Black Lives Matter extremists and saying they're black identity extremists but law enforcement having no interest in arresting white supremacists. I don't believe that there is such a thing as black identity extremists. I think it's fiction. I think it was made up by the FBI. And race seems to be the basis of linking these often individual violent acts to groups like Black Lives Matter and echoes the FBI's long history of targeting black activists. We are being surveilled. Um, we are being criminalized for our protesting and our activism. And um, we are being targeted. Well, there is a tr real thing called black identity extremism. It exists. And let's see the latest black identity extremist. His name is uh, Frank James. And allegedly he shot up that train just the other day. I keep telling you the same thing. White people and black people, as we call ourselves, should not have any contact with each other. You still refuse to understand this. They hate your f***ing guts. And why do they hate your guts? Because they know that your rightful place is as a slave in this country. They know that. That's black identity extremism right there. But remember, it's not a thing. And the FBI should not be looking into it. And they didn't look into it. And another one, another one was missed. So that's not extremism. And neither is this. Oh, neither is this, right? This is an extremism. This is in violence. This is peaceful protest. This is social justice. What a warped world they want us to live in. Stay with us. Uh, things are getting interesting in prison as transgender individuals cohabitate with female prisoners. Be right back. Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I, All can, I can say, say is, is that, that the fake, fake news just doesn't get it, do they? <laughs> so the fake news does not get it, and neither does our new governor here in New York, Kathy Hochul. Very, very unimpressive. Um, well, you tell me. She responded to the aftermath of the shooting in the subway the other day, and she, she scolded all of those mass shooters. This is definitely going to fix the situation. We say no more. 
No more mass shootings. No more disrupting lives. No more creating heartbreak for people just trying to live their lives as normal New Yorkers. It has to end. It ends now. Just like yelling at neighborhood kids who jumped in her pool or something like that. It's very strange. She shouldn't be the governor. She doesn't have the experience. She has, uh, I think, one term in the House of Representatives. She was a clerk up in Buffalo for a while. And uh, for some reason, nobody really knows why, uh, Cuomo made her his lieutenant governor. So now she's got the job. The very first thing she did was make a guy named Brian Benjamin her lieutenant governor. There they are together. Um, about seven months ago, and earlier this week, just before that subway situation, he was arrested on fraud charges. Yep, there he is, leaving federal court after posting bond. He's in a lot of trouble. He's already had to, uh, he's had to resign. Now, as you can see, there's a lot of media there, but it was a very, very local story. Now, this is the number two official in all of New York State, and uh, nobody mentioned it. On ABC, NBC, CNN, all the rest, uh, nothing, not a word. I mean, there's other stuff going on in the world, sure, but the lieutenant governor of New York State going down, that's kind of a big deal. Okay, so Brian Benjamin, let's take a look at him. Now, granted, nobody knows who he is, all right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's true. But then again, nobody knows who most of these politicians are. I live in New York. I really probably couldn't have recognized him before the other day. I also couldn't have recognized or told you anything about a guy named Chris Collins. Remember him? Uh, neither do I, but he was a Republican congressman from upstate New York. And he got himself into a lot of trouble, and he's a Republican, right? Oh, and he liked Trump, right? So all those network news shows that avoided that story about Mr. Benjamin, <laughs> they could not get enough. A powerful congressman arrested by the FBI. One of President Trump's first backers in Washington accused of a scheme involving big money, secret phone calls, and lying to the feds. The major arrest, the sitting congressman charged with insider trading. Prosecutors say he learned a drug for MS had failed during testing and that he then warned family and friends to dump the stock. GOP Representative Chris Collins of New York indicted on federal insider trading charges. I believe I acted properly and within the law at all times. All right. Hey, by the way, you get that Republican, get that close to Trump. I mean, Benjamin, uh, Brian Benjamin knows every Democrat in the country, but no, 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 no. It wasn't just a one day story. <laughs> they kept at it. Breaking overnight, New York Congressman Chris Collins speaking out after being charged with insider trading. And new trouble for one of President Trump's earliest allies, Congressman Chris Collins of New York, the first member of Congress to endorse Trump's candidacy, has been indicted on insider trading charges. Vowing to clear his name, Congressman Chris Collins, who's accused of insider trading, says he is innocent. Now, he does have a couple things going against him. I mentioned Trump. I mentioned a Republican. He's a man and he's white. OK, those are big, big, big negatives for those folks in the media. Meanwhile, Kathy Hochul, well, they like her. She's a Democrat and uh, her lieutenant governor. Well, it's a black man and it puts them in their own head in some awkward position to be critical. Um, maybe this has something to do with it as well. Al Sharpton made this uh, union happen instrumental in Brian Benjamin getting picked. And I think he's instrumental in nobody talking about it anymore. All right.
Can we talk a bit more about Black Lives Matter and just how hideous and corrupt and stupid the whole thing is? It is. Uh, a lot of us knew that before George Floyd, but corporate America, mm-mm, they, uh, they just had to jump on board. You know, they're so terrified that the mob would ever set up shop or protest outside their business. So they just jumped on board without thinking. We, the National Football League, believe Black Lives Matter. We must say the words, Black Lives Matter. Do I think Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. Say it with me, Jimmy. Black, black lives, lives matter. matter. Of course, black lives matter. We here at The Tonight Show do support Black Lives Matter, and we are against any type of police brutality. Companies like ours must speak up as allies to the Black Lives Matter movement. Black Lives Matter, period. <laughs> period. And then he keeps talking. Black Lives Matter, period. <laughs> period. And then he keeps talking and talking and talking. Um, Right. We all remember that. And the money, the money, the money. We love the name. Just do it. We'll put the logo on our website. We'll be good. Right. We'll be protected. But what about black lives? What about what about black children, people of color? What about them? Shut up. This is a marketing campaign. Now, we know the receipts are coming in. (laughs) Take a look at this headline. You probably heard about this by now. All the crazy real estate they're buying. Uh, A $6 million house in L.A. And finally, people are asking, what is up with uh, the Black Lives Matter leadership and their their real estate acquisition? And this house is something else. This is one of about a dozen properties they've been acquiring. Now, they're getting very, very touchy about the criticism. Oh, boy. You criticize them. Even when they're doing something so overtly corrupt as this, how dare you? So how are they defending themselves? These reports do not reflect the totality of the movement. Okay, the totality. Black creativity is necessary and vital to black survival. That's why Creator's House was purchased. We bought it for survival. Okay, we are embracing this moment as an opportunity for accountability, healing, Truth-telling and transparency is so beautiful. We understand the necessity of working intentionally to rebuild trust so we can continue forging a new path that sustains black people for generations. Uh, Last week, one of them said, wow, filling out taxes, I find it very triggering. Triggering, you know, that whole Western patriarchy, colonialist stuff they talk about. Um, It's absurd, of course. But too bad those companies spent all that money and maybe they could have just cut us a few breaks along the way. Stay with us. We're going to get to that weird prison. It's an all-female prison that includes men, transgender individuals. They still can have sex and create babies, and that's what they're doing in this prison. We'll be right back. So you're supposed to have a women's prison, uh, a prison for men, and that's it, right? What about the transgenders? Well, they're putting transgender uh, women with the women in a facility in New Jersey, and the results are predictable. Two women at an NJ prison are pregnant after consensual sex between inmates. Two women, yes, incarcerated at the Edma Mahan Correctional Facility, the state's only female prison, have become pregnant after having sex with a transgender inmate. It goes on to say the developments follow a settlement agreement 
with the American Civil Liberties Union of New Jersey last year, which stipulates that transgender prisoners should be housed in line with their gender identity. Now, this is obviously absurd on its surface, right? I mean, let's take the body of a male. Uh, this is a, well, a he-man version, right? Now, if you, right, no, I'm sorry, but this individual does not belong with the women, uh, the biological women in prison. A lot of bad things can happen. And even some Democrats know this. Uh, uh, the governor over there, Murphy, uh, has been uncomfortable with the situation at the prison, promised to do something about it, but always kicking the can down the road because he's got to worry about that, you know, white supremacy stuff. There's so much on the ballot. Uh, there's so much at stake. Do we stand with our sacred democracy or do we stand with, with uh, Confederate flags and white supremacists and a pack of lies? Do we stand, do we continue, do we continue to make the tough? Oh, that should have been the end of his political career. He barely, barely won re-election. The ACLU, <laughs> thanks a lot again. The current policy reflects best practices to ensure the health, dignity, and safety of people in custody. Yeah, including pregnancy, I guess. It is in line with New Jersey's strong anti-discrimination laws on the basis of gender identity. Look, they're going to keep pushing this, and uh, it should not be. We're going to have to have um, a third gender, right? We're going to have to have a th- We have a men's prison. We have a woman's prison. We've got to have a transgender prison. We've got to have a gen- transgender sports league Thing is, we're not going to because there are not enough to actually justify that. So I think this is all going to blow over pretty soon. By the way, what'd you think of our animation? Presto, a man becomes a woman. Uh, that individual does not belong with the women in prison or in a lot of places, actually. All right, back here in New York City. Eric Adams, I have been familiar with this character for a long time. He's not good. He wasn't a good police officer. He's a terrible mayor. His secret, though, he talks a good game at the right moment, always changing his positions, always changing his tune. It depends on who he's speaking to in the moment. And most people have no memory, especially the media. So they hear something and they think, oh, finally, a breath of fresh air. And he can say things because of, well, identity politics. Take a look. Here's my question that I put out to the city. Hey, I thought Black Lives Matter. Where are all those who stated Black Lives Matter? Then go do an analysis of who was killed or shot last night. The victims were Black. Many of the shooters were Black. If Black Lives Matter, then the thousands of people I saw on the street when Floyd was murdered should be on the street right now say, stating that the lives of these black children that are dying every night matters. So that sounds great, but it's just noise. It's just noise. And when white people say that, they're branded as conservatives, nut jobs. Oh, shut up. It's your turn to listen. He gets to say it because he's black, but he's only saying it because it's convenient in the moment. This individual has done so much to damage community police relations. When he was running for mayor, he said that people of color should not call the cops when they need them. Now, because of Black Lives Matter summer, uh, a lot was going on. (laughs) 
including fireworks that were totally out of control. So this is uh, this is heavy duty stuff. This isn't sparklers and bottle rockets. This is like military artillery, right? And a lot of people in New York were scared. It was a big, big issue. Apart from the racial justice protests, this was scaring people. It was happening everywhere. Hot issue in the mayor's race in 2020 and into 2021. Everett Adams had a solution. Don't call the cops, whatever you do. Stopping fireworks cannot turn into fireworks between the police and the community. Now it's time for all those who call 311, who don't want heavy-handed policing, it's time for you to come out your homes and go talk to the young people or the people on your block who are using fireworks like this. What does community policing- Do you want to engage with folks who are doing this with fireworks right outside, right? Excuse me, excuse me. Could you possibly uh, settle down and do that somewhere else? Maybe with a beach? Excuse me, I don't like these fireworks. Uh, excuse me, can you put down that rocket propelled grenade? All right, that's not a practical solution. That's not gonna work and it didn't work. And this poor woman who heard the news, heard Eric Adams' advice, actually went out there and tried to do what he said to do. And she was shot eight times. Shatavia Walls, 33, blasted eight times in an East New York public housing complex on July 7th simply for asking the fiends to take their dangerous display away from a group of playing kids. Exactly how Adams had urged constituents to act in the face of the pyrotechnic plague. Again, it was a big deal. She watched the news. Yes, she heard it. Uh, Helen Walls, heartbroken mother, told the Post on Sunday, referring to Adams' advice, it was probably in the back of her mind. And other family members um, substantiated that. So this is, uh, this is the kind of guy who says, don't call the cops when all hell is breaking loose because you can't trust the cops. You can't trust the cops. Um, may I see that video one more time? This is bad. You don't, uh, you don't do this. You don't fix this on your own. Fair enough, right? All right, we got a problem here in New York. Uh, but there's hope on the way, at least in the cyber world. Do you hear about Twitter and Elon Musk? Quite frankly, I can't figure out exactly what he's going to do. I would love there to be more f- fairness in Twitter. What happened to Donald Trump? Crime, really, suspended, suspended. And we got John Hinckley, the man who tried to kill Ronald Reagan, is active on Twitter. The mullah in Iran is active on Twitter. Elon Musk has made an offer, a big one, uh, $43 billion uh, to buy the whole company. And uh, I like his style. He's a little eccentric, but uh, he supports free speech. My, my strong intuitive sense is that uh, having a public platform that is maximally trusted um, and, 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 and broadly inclusive um, is extremely important to the future of civilization. Yeah, but you know who's opposing this? All of Silicon Valley, uh, the hipsters, the wokesters, and the Saudis. 
Saudi, Saudi, very rich Saudis have a huge, huge stake in Twitter. Did you know that? I didn't know that. A lot of people don't know that, but uh, these guys are not exactly known for their adherence to freedom of speech, respect of women, and a whole lot of other things. They got problems over there. I know strategically they're an ally. I think that should be looked into, don't you? When we come back, more on black identity extremism. It's real, but it's been not a problem. Cops in America have literally been hunted. So many horrible incidents where they've been deliberately targeted, ambushed. Maybe one of the worst was back in 2016. Do you remember those five Dallas cops as uh, Micah Johnson lay siege to the downtown area? Five cops were killed. Uh, The FBI, for a time, talked about something, a real problem in America called black identity extremism. Uh, They were... uh, They were all over this, and they put out a very interesting, compelling report back in early 2017 outlining uh, what it is and the threat it poses, uh, likely motivated to target law enforcement officers. And here's the thing, uh, B-I-E, if we call it that, uh, well, clearly the man who is alleged to have shot up that subway car earlier this week in Brooklyn, this is a black identity extremist, at least uh, that's my take. But unfortunately, it seems the FBI either won't or is even prohibited from pursuing black identity suspects. We'd like to bring in Kyle Scheidler. He is a senior analyst at the Center for Security Policy. He put out a very interesting report uh, about this matter. Kyle, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Kyle, what is the deal? B.I.E., it seems like that we've seen it. We, we, we now know what it is. It makes sense. Why would the FBI be discouraged from calling these matters what they are? Well, as you noted, they put out that analytical product about black identity extremism in 2017, and it's a very good product. It's a very moderate product. It's well-researched. It's very serious. Uh, and there wasn't really a problem until uh, someone from Congress leaked in 2019 that the FBI was conducting briefs about black identity extremism to Congress. Uh, This then got out into the media and the left-wing advocacy space, and you immediately had groups like the Brennan Center for Justice, the ACLU, uh, and and similar type groups uh, immediately targeting the FBI's use of this term. This led to hearings led by the Congressional Black Caucus, where they called the FBI to task for even using the words. Uh, And this led the FBI to immediately back away and say, oh, you know, we're not going to use that term anymore. We're going to use a far more broad and essentially useless and euphemistic term. And the problem with any bureaucracy is if you can't name a thing, you can't deal with it. And so uh, if the FBI can't use the words black identity extremism, they have no way to describe, no way to understand, no way to analyze the types of social media posts that we saw from this individual in New York City. Uh, His posts, if you look at his social media, if you listen to his YouTube, he is very clearly a black identity extremist. He has clearly internalized uh, issues of of, uh, racial separatism, uh, concerns about uh, policing, and he had very strong and very violent opinions about that. Now, if the FBI looked into that and they did not know what they were looking at or they did not know how to talk about what they were looking at, did that cause them 
uh, to clear him when they should have uh, taken some other operational step. And clearly, look, I'm not in law enforcement. I am a consumer of the news. Uh, I hate white supremacy, but I don't see much of it. In fact, I see extremely little. I think there are four guys somewhere in the woods who believe in white supremacy, yet they talk it up all the time, all the time. And it's fascinating that they just can't be straight with us and maybe even straight with themselves. I'm talking about the FBI and Congress. Well, look at the difference in reaction when Republican members of Congress uh, started to raise questions about the Department of Justice and the FBI looking into protesters at school board meetings. Uh, and the FBI has still, to this day, as far as I know, uh, refused to answer questions about that. They refused to give uh, Republican congressmen uh, documents about that effort, uh, where on the left side of the aisle, uh, you have a number of left-leaning organizations and congressmen complain, and the FBI immediately kowtows to what they want. Uh, so you, you're getting a, a form of politicization when they are making choices about what to investigate based on how much uh, hassle they're going to get uh, and what and who they can ignore uh, and who they have to take seriously. Earlier in the show, we played a, a montage of uh, various liberals uh, being very, very upset about the black identity extremist label. They don't want to hear it. Now they don't have to hear it. But you mentioned the kowtowing and the caving and the giving in right away. Why do they give in so easily? Um, are they just afraid of being yelled at in these hearings? Uh, is it like they're afraid of their budget being cut? Uh, what do you think? And that might be outside your purview, but what do you, why would they retreat from something so easily when it's clearly a problem? Uh, I mean, I think it has something to do with the command of the culture, uh, the command of the media. You, we saw a very well-orchestrated media information campaign when they started to target the FBI to deal with this term, black identity extremism. It wasn't just a single hearing. It was a regular drumbeat of organizations and groups uh, and various community activists. And so they were able to create uh, a real sense of outrage. Uh, something that the right politically doesn't really have the ability to do. Uh, we have a number of good congressmen that raise serious questions about DOJ behavior, and that's very positive. Uh, but they don't have the kind of steady drumbeat and the, the cultural power uh, that some of the left wing organizations uh, simply have. So the FBI listens to them or the DOJ listens to them. Uh, and they don't they don't listen to the right. Of course, it helps, of course, that we're talking about the Biden uh, Department of Justice, uh, which has been you know, very anxious to do the Biden administration's bidding uh, over the past several years. What a shame. Uh, what a shame. But we are so pleased that you're on this, sir. Uh, please check out the Center for Security Policy. And uh, Kyle Scheidler, forgive me, but what is your website? Securefreedom.org. Securefreedom.org. Thank you, sir. And we'll be right back. Well, it's their constitutional right, apparently, to uh, have sex in prison. Prisoners having sex 
with prisoners so long as those prisoners are transgender. Yes, indeed, it's happening at a, at a facility in New Jersey. Take a look at this. Two women at a New Jersey prison are pregnant after consensual sex between inmates, the Department of Corrections says. Uh, inside this piece, two women incarcerated at the Edna Mahan Correctional Facility, the state's only female prison, have become pregnant after having sex with a transgender inmate. Uh, the developments follow a settlement agreement with the American Civil Liberties Union of New Jersey last year, which stipulates that transgender prisoners should be housed in line with their gender identity. It seems, well, it is absurd. We thought we'd bring in Bernard Carrick, former New York City police commissioner, and also, and some folks have forgotten this, had a very long career and successful career in corrections. He was the Department of uh, Corrections Commissioner, ran Rikers Island and many other prisons, also in New Jersey as well. Welcome back, Commissioner. How are you? I'm good, Greg. How are you? Uh, terrific. Uh, listen, transgender, it's a hot issue right now, and uh, they have a lot of status with the left. Is there any... <laughs> well, what's your reaction to what happened here uh, in New Jersey? Well, I honestly, Greg, I think it's a management issue, uh, really. You know, I, I understand what the courts have said. I get the law thing. Um, we had some of the same, same stuff going on at Rikers Island, but what we would do, we would put them in the female facility but we would house them together. We wouldn't shove them into a dormitory or into a housing area with a bunch of real women. You're going to have problems. Anybody with any amount of common sense knows that. The bottom line is they shouldn't be in there. And I, and I get the whole court thing and, and all the, the advocates and all the screaming and yelling. Okay, I get that. But on the management side, you've got to maintain a safe and secure environment for every prisoner. And there's no safe and secure environment when you have women housed with men. And the reality is you can call them, gen, you know, transgender and whatever you want to call them. They have male body parts. You stick them in with a bunch of females and you're going to have pregnant women. You know, your uh, your solution is common sense. Have the transgenders with the transgenders. I mean, that is a common sense solution. Uh, two things on that. Number one. You say it's a management thing. How hard would that actually be? How much of a burden will it be on jails as we see transgender all over the place? If they were to follow your advice, how doable is that? How feasible is that? What you just said? It's there's no issue, Greg. It's 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 the the movement of those prisoners into a special housing area. You have housing areas in the facility. You designate one just like you designate for administrative segregation or or central punitive segregation or whatever the case, solitary confinement, whatever you want, you create that housing area for the, only those inmates. And that's what should have happened. Hey, I want you to take a look at this. This is uh, from Redux. Go ahead and put it up on the screen, please. Man who molested a four-year-old girl and was denied gender change among transfers to California women's prison. All right, this is a man who molested a four-year-old girl, was denied a gender change, and transfers to a California women's prison. That sounds, uh, what are you hearing from your corrections uh, allies, uh, those still in the business about matters like this? Well, it's, you know, it's kind of, kind of the laughing stock of the industry. The bottom line is, you know, honestly, Greg, We've been dealing with this kind of stuff for years. The last 20, 30 years, 
although it wasn't as vocal back then as it is today. You've got all these lunatics in, in you know, in the legislature, uh, both state and the federal, you know, calling for this stuff, screaming and yelling vocal back then as it is today. You've got all these lunatics in, in you know, in the legislature, uh, both state and the federal, you know, calling for this stuff, screaming and yelling, mates, take care of them and make sure they're secure. That's what you have to do. And they could have done that by just segregating the transgenders into a housing area by themselves. Bernie Carrick, who, by the way, turned Rikers Island from one of the most dangerous prisons in the world to one of the safest prisons in the world when he was Department of Corrections Commissioner. Sir, we thank you again. Thanks, Greg. You bet. We'll be right back. If you've had it with the old news and the same spent, well, then Spicer and Company's your place for the inside story and for the facts that you need to know. Well, thank you. Uh, getting close to Easter, right? We'll see you tomorrow night, and Stitchfield is next. <laughs>